0: Welcome back to episode 111 of Chess Journeys, Tales of Adult Improvement. Here on Chess Journeys, we love to look into the highs of of ratings gain and glory, but unfortunately that's not not the norm, so we often dive into the plateaus and even the pits of despair below that. If you want to support this show, you can go to Patreon Chess Journeys, and we now have a bunch of queen-level supporters there. Matt Bush, Jay Garrison, Donald Rich Burgess, Brandon Hallside, David Schreiber, Lindsey Newhall, Jeff Peterson, Tobio Rex, Bob Berger, Nance, Nicholas Harrigan, Rich, Bradley Fenner, Fletcher Ray, and even a King-level supporter, Ian Samples. Very much appreciate the support. We do not have a um, uh, a, another, a sponsor at the moment, so all your support is great. Um, I've been streaming a lot less on Dr. Skull, Tiny Grimes, so now you got to really... Be following to know when I'm going live because it's not very regular. It's just when I have time. And if you want to appear on the show, fill out the Google form in the show notes. We all want to hear your story. Another way is to contact me on Twitter. Uh, Just DM me and let me know you'd like to be on. Now, if you're interested in Noel Studer's awesome Next Level Training program, well, great news. You can help the show by using the code in the show notes to support the show and help out. All right. Enough of that. Let's get on to our guest today. We have John. He's a dedicated chess improver, and he is a band director for a middle school. And I got to say, I teach high school, which seems like a lot of energy. Middle school? Oh my goodness, I don't even know what to say. Uh, Welcome, John. Have you had a chance to play any chess yet today?
1: So yeah, I am am an avid listener of the podcast, and I, I anticipated this question, and so I started booted up a classical game a uh, little while ago wow. played an absolutely terrible game against the french defense and fished for mate and one and found it so yeah wow. um got lucky there but really shouldn't have gotten lucky it was a very bad game all right so what do we mean by this fish for mate and one so, you know, when you're in a bad position and, you know, you, you, you can sense that the tables turned on you a long time ago, but, you know, you've still got some daggers stashed here and there. You've still got, you've still got like an angle to try and equalize the game. Um, so that was precisely what I did. I still had a couple of knights and a couple of rooks and I kind of engineered a back rank situation that didn't look like a back rank and slid the rook up and that was that.
0: Nice. Okay. So you're basically, you're still going for the victory you're still pressing hard even when you're in a bad position you're going for dynamic play it sounds like instead of just suffering to the loss oh yeah and like let me let me
1: let me be perfectly clear this is probably not sound chess by any means <laughs> you know you're you're looking for potentially the most lethal strike that may just mm-hmm. end your suffering quickly but if your opponent is playing very slowly and in, intelligently they'll probably see it coming and they'll they they might be able to stop getting That's your tracks it.
0: This sounds yeah. like how my uh child always plays chess. We went they had they had this great tournament where they won a trophy, and then she won two games at the chess club. She is cooking. And so I was like, yeah, we should look at some of these games. Wow, this girl, uh, she will give away pieces for anything. Just like they're just in the way. and she just gives away a night and I'm like, uh, did you hang a night there? And she's like, hang a night. That night was in the way. And I'm like, of what? And she's like, uh, of Checkmate. And I'm like, there's no Checkmate. She's like, there will be soon. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so I wish I could somehow channel her lack of obsession with material, with my abilities, and I feel like I would be very good chess player. But I, I can't I, do that. I really wish I could
1: just have that optimism that my attacks are always going to work out. And it's like, it's okay. I don't need all this material. All I need is, All I need is a clear diagonal and a prayer.
0: Yeah. She gets very mad, though, when I'm like, what if your opponent had just pushed this pawn? And she's like, Dad, that didn't happen. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm just saying, like, it could have. <laughs> what would you have done? I, I don't know. Maybe fish for another one. But now you're just down two knights. Uh, so, oh, that man. Works out a lot. And I, I also think that her opponents get overconfident, right? Because she it looks like she's hung a knight, and they're just like, wow, this person just hung a knight. And in her mind, she did not hang that knight at all she knew she was giving up that night and it was, it was just part of the plan. So I think that's kind of a fascinating psychological piece. Uh, I tend to go
1: absolutely the other way. Like if I, if I find myself in an advantageous position, I actually panic a little bit more because the quote that just plays in my mind is that like the hardest game to win is a one game. And it's like, okay, you have this as long as you don't throw it away. And so I, I, I kind of double down on the, on the checking and the, anxiety blunder checks
0: all that kind of stuff well that's good maybe that protects you do you win more one games than do you think
1: um i think it's just because i want to avoid the pain of mm. uh throwing away a clearly won game um yeah. yeah
0: i find that to be a lot worse than just losing mm-hmm. like if my opponent grinds me down and beats me i'm like okay that that's unfortunate they're a good chess player but if i'm winning and then i throw it Oh my goodness. That's like the end of the world. Like, uh, especially if I'm at really the board look, really tournament brutal. and then I got to sleep on that game and get up the next day and play two more. Oh, no, 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 no. Just beat me legit. I don't want to throw away the game.
1: And the on-demand bounce back that you have to have in tournament chess after you, after you have a really bad, really bad run one, one game, you have to just put it to the side and keep going
0: stuff. Okay. Well, I played in a tournament this week. I'm not going to give a full recap of that. That that would take away from John's opportunity to share his journey. But I do want to talk about the bounce back thing that you just said. So on Sunday night, game four, I played an 11-year-old. He was a good chess player. And we were playing game 100, increment 30. So every time you move, you get 30 seconds. This child finished the game with 115 minutes, John. Oh yep. And it went oh. 48 moves. It wasn't like a, a quick quick mate. This was a lengthy game that went to an end game. It was incredibly complicated. He trapped a piece early, but he had I get got two connected pawns for it. So tons of compensation. And he still, when I moved, would take about five seconds and move. And I was just like, it was so frustrating for me because I was like. I have to win, right? Like if if this person is not even going to think when they're playing against me, then I just have to win. They're going to make a mistake at some point. And I was very confident and happy that he was moving so fast until he didn't make any mistakes. And I was just like, what is happening? And he won the game. And then I had to somehow go to bed and come back the next morning and not be emotionally devastated. And you know what, John? I wasn't able to pull that off. Uh, right from the start of the game the next morning, I just could tell. I just didn't have it. I lost a very bad game and dropped out of the terms. the first tournament I've ever dropped out of. Um, there was only one more round, so it's fine. Uh, yeah. I've all been hung out with my family, so it wasn't like it was a, a big ordeal. Like I didn't sit around in an airport for eight hours stewing about my loss. But like you said, it was very hard to bounce back from that loss. Yeah. And um, it's
1: interesting that you mentioned that aspect of like when your opponent plays fast, sometimes that can be encouraging, but also disconcerting if it feels like you're not posing them that much trouble. And I feel like most of my games kind of fall into that pattern of, my opponent will maybe start taking a lot more time and i'll just do a ton of thinking on their time i have like a, i have a pretty good intuitive sense of what move they're going to play and then maybe maybe i don't have to calculate all that hard um and but that all that's been that's been quite difficult for me actually because i know i play too fast all the time that is by far my achilles heel when it comes to classical chess and it's hard for me to say well you're not actually playing too fast you're just thinking on your opponent's time But if the game ends and there's a huge imbalance in the clocks, then the thought is always, well, why am I essentially just giving my opponent a free time handicap? Like, that's basically what I'm doing by not using my time. But uh, I find those types of things really difficult to quantify. And a bad tournament can really, really stay with you. I remember... I think I've had about two tournaments, two or maybe, actually maybe three tournaments over the last year that really stuck with me for a period of weeks and shook me to the point of being like, you're spending a lot of time on this and you're still getting the break speed off of you in these tournaments. Is this, like, it, it's putting you through a lot of mental strain. It's, are you sure this is something you want to keep doing? And... I kind of avoid that question and I'll, I'll, I'll go back. I'll lick my wounds. I'll go back into the lab and then I'll just keep playing online or I'll just consume more chess content content. And it's like, absolutely. Yes. This is a place that I want to be. Like there's a, there's, there's still a passion for the game that will exist even, even though it's being hampered by really brutal results sometimes.
0: Yeah. It's that funny thing of like, I love chess. I love studying chess. I love playing chess and I'm just really wrestling with this concept of like, am I good at the sporting element of chess, right? Like that feels to be what's holding me back. So like in the game against this 11 year old, uh, I actually had a hallucination where he attacked my rook. I could have just slid my rook back, but I somehow convinced myself it was trapped. And so I sacked it and it was basically the end of the game because, and then after the game, he was like, Hey, uh, I don't understand your rook sack." And I was just like, well, it was trapped. And it gave me a really weird look. And then I, you know, went over the notation. I was like, trapped? What? So it's like, that wasn't, I don't think, bad chess. I think it was something else going on there, right? Like some sort of fatigue issue, um, because that's, you know, game four of a weekend tournament. And and those are the things where I'm really wrestling with, like, Mm -hmm, 100% prove that. Yeah. And I
1: find myself super susceptible to the exact same thing. And that whole below your waterline is just so limiting. Like even in a casual setting, I was playing some hand and brain with some friends the the last week and he said, Bishop. And I looked at my Bishop and the the Bishop was completely trapped. Anywhere it was going, it was dying. So it's like, okay, Bishop takes, uh, Bishop takes F7 check. That's all I got. And after the game, he's like, you realize we had a whole other Bishop. Right. And I was like, (laughs) Actually, I didn't No, I just totally lost track of it. And those like those ghosts that we see. Mm-hmm. um, I, That's that's one thing that I've really been struggling with, even in like the current board state, especially when I'm trying to calculate variations like I really don't trust my calculation more than two or three moves, because somewhere I'm going to start dropping pieces or dropping responses. So and I think that has caused me to try to rely a lot more on positional elements or like general principles that maybe aren't always applicable or that are difficult to sort into what is the most important one right now um so yeah totally that that aspect of just not seeing things as they truly appear is so tough to
0: combat because it seems so simple but it's not you have a million different things going And and i hear you with the trusting your calculation that can be so hard um because i've made some pretty serious calculation mistakes like this weekend there was a line I calculated like a million times and it was clear. It really wasn't very good, but I, I didn't see another alternative. I love, I could have just like made my repassive, but I was like, no, I'm going to go down this line anyway. It's like an eight move sequence. I probably missed something in here. I'll be all right. I wasn't all right at all. Everything I calculated <laughs> came true and I got slaughtered and I was like, dude, you saw this was going to happen. What is your problem?
1: I read some advice from somebody like maybe it was a passage from a book. It's like, it's not enough to just calculate the long line. You also have to evaluate the position at the end of it. And it's like, I, I can barely tell if the pieces are in the right place at the end of the line, let alone give a definitive calculation of a, you know, materially even unclear position. So you're asking a lot from a, from a relatively new chess player.
0: Yeah. It's uh it's challenging. And, and then it's like, well, how do you address it? Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. Especially when people are like, just do basic tactics. That's how you get good at chess. And it's like, well, that doesn't address any of my problems right now. Right? Like I agree that is important, but I don't think that stops me from hallucinating. It doesn't stop my evaluations from being wrong. It doesn't stop me from not trusting my calculations. Like these are all different problems. So I feel like I need a team, man. I need like a sports psychologist, a coach, maybe six more coaches, I'm go I've bro.
1: really debated like if I could if I could have one professional in my corner do you want the chess coach or the sports psychologist and my answer oscillates weekly yeah. depending on my mental state like
0: what I need is someone who can do both <laughs> <laughs> you give me therapy while you're giving me my chess lessons it would be great That'd oh be great. man well John we skipped one of my favorite parts of the show which is when did you pick up chess did you play it all as like a little kid so yeah, like I used to go to this like
1: after school program and chess boards were kind of around like the kids would play chess with one another. We were all really bad. Um but we were just playing it for the love of it, love the game. And I remember playing a lot with my dad at home. I don't recall ever beating him and it's a shame because like now I could definitely beat him but he but he kind of knows better cuz we talk about uh oh, that's we, like
0: talk, we playing talk about that it a lot. Jump.
1: My powers have doubled since we last met. Like come on, bring it on yeah um at one at one point i remember like my uncle got me a book of like chess problems or chess puzzles as a kid Mm. but like i didn't know how to read notation it was all way over my head i'm like i i I don't get this at all Mm. and i remember going to a scholastic tournament in grade five in like in may after our chess club had been playing in the elementary school like we all went to this tournament most of us most of us got pretty badly beaten but it was just a fun experience Yeah, and then I don't I don't really remember it featuring in my life at all in middle school or high school and maybe it was just because you know there were no teachers running it or maybe I just wasn't in love with it at all but it wasn't really until PogChamps won in like January of 2020 I think uh, just before the pandemic because I used to watch a lot of XQC and I, I still do sometimes these Kind of an entertaining streamer sometimes. And at that time, I was watching a lot of his gameplay on Twitch. And he starts training for this tournament as an amateur in chess. And the content is just insane uh, in terms of like the way he will describe piece configurations. Uh, hikaru still calls pieces juicers to this day because of like his training of him and stuff oh, and it was just like
0: he got that from okay yeah
1: I, that's that's definitely where he got that from and it was like uh it was just such neat content and you could see the gears turning in his head and i'm watching him play and i'm like well wait a minute you have this line and all of a sudden i'm just re-downloading chess on my phone mm. and i'm starting to play a little bit um I found like low level chess really hard. I think I started out at around like, you know, six, 700 on chess or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the early queen attacks come out and I just melt. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And I have a lot of trouble with just all of the, all of the different demands on you as you're playing a chess game, all those different plates you have to keep spinning. But I keep playing here and there. And then later that year, I think it was around fall, the queen's Gambit comes out. And we watched that series at home and all of a sudden I'm completely hooked. I, there was no turning back at that point. That After. The is
0: does that, is that when you started like really trying to improve before that where you're just having fun playing? Totally. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where I, I looked at an old rating graph and
1: that was where things really started to spike. And that was where I started putting in a lot more games. Um, and it was, I, I think it was just the, the depth which, which with which the series presented the game of chess is like a very multifaceted and like interesting deep game that could really grow with you that kind of appealed to me. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, let's let's go for it. And so then I start playing a lot of chess. I start really, you know, scouring corners of YouTube and Twitch for more chess related content. And I start just kind of getting immersed in the in the language of the game. And I start it just kind of becomes and ins- it slowly and kind of insidiously becomes a part of my life um you know i'll be staying up late and i'll be all of a sudden i'll just be playing more chess than video games and i don't know how or when that happened but it just starts taking over
0: yeah, and
1: yeah i I remember switching over to lee chess around the queen's gambit and i think i was about 1200 in winter of 2020 okay
0: and what were you but, doing to to improve that? it sounds like YouTube was a lot of it. Were you? Hundred percent. Anything else? All uh, it
1: was, I would say ninety-five percent YouTube, and then I also picked up a copy of Axel Smith's "Pump Up Your Rating," Oh wow, uh, which I know it was Love. totally, it was totally over my head. But on the <laughs> on the cover, it's I think it starts at like twelve hundred, and I'm like, oh, okay, well this this is perfect. <laughs> um, and I read the first chapter on pawn levers, and I'm like, oh my god, like this <laughs> might as well be in Greek. I have no clue what's going yeah. on. I'll leave Especially, this
0: below. Since he doesn't even call them pawn breaks, he calls them pawn Levers. Which is- exactly. <laughs> um wow, what a book.
1: And, yeah, he gives you like a like a couple of starter a couple of starter problems on like yeah. which 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 pawn lever is best to play here. Yeah. I try them and I get them all wrong. And I'm like, okay, this book goes back on the shelf for a bit. I'm not ready for it. Whatever. That is fun. a
0: great chapter, by the way. I love that chapter. If you want to learn about pawn breaks, go that's to pawn green. Awesome book.
1: And, uh, yeah, and so it's all, like, the shorter form, more basic YouTube content, like, you know, Gotham Chess, and I remember picking up uh, Reassess Your Chess, mm. but I didn't have the fourth edition. I had the expanded third edition, oh, nice. uh, which is, of it's all. it's actually, like, a completely different book, and it starts with King Opposition, and I could not wrap my head around that either, and I'm like, okay, that book goes on the shelf, too, we'll leave it for later, we'll just... We'll just do the YouTube education for now, and that yeah. that actually took me decently far. Nice,
0: and yeah. and it sounds like you're saying alongside that you're just playing a lot of games. Tons, yeah, and just trying to
1: trying trying to put together why why I'm losing or why I'm winning.
0: Okay. So
1: I, I just kind of keep grinding that way, and by about fall of 2021, I think I was about 1500 Lee chests. Oh wow, and quite a bit. Yeah, like it was it was a it was a fairly quick jump. That was that was that was pretty good. And I decided to start a chess club at the middle school that I teach at, and I am now like consuming an awful lot of chess content. Like I would say, it's like almost my primary entertainment if I'm left to my own devices. Right. My fiance like will put limits on it at home if we're together, which is totally understandable. But right. if I'm staying up late, it's it's all chess.
0: Uh, so when you you got your like 300 jump there, you're playing games, you're doing YouTube. Um, what was your time control for your games?
1: mostly 10 plus oh um i i found blitz really unreliable and it it just felt like i was playing on instinct rather than actually building the skill base and i i could i could and that's kind of a problem because on twitch and on youtube you see a lot of people playing three plus 0 or three plus two but yeah. these guys are all like titled players who have built the foundation already and i know i gotta
0: go slow and actually you know build the automaticity in the skills yeah that makes a lot so. of sense Mm-hmm. Um, Were you working on openings at all while you were doing this? Like, did you analyze your games?
1: Yeah, so I, d- I definitely uh, approached things the wrong way and I put a lot of time into learning openings just because I wanted to be, like, comfortable in a variety of situations. I neglected tactical training to that and and I kind of did it by rationalizing it by saying well I'm a positional player which <laughs> just means that I miss tactics all the time and don't realize when they're coming at me but right, uh, yeah. but but at least I know you know to develop my
0: pieces to certain right. squares uh. So, <laughs> so, that's, so yeah. that's some information that's useful um yeah. how'd you work on your openings was it sort of trial and error did you do the chessable way so I didn't I didn't actually start doing Chessable
1: until I just started going to tournaments. So yeah. and I didn't start going to tournaments until summer of 2022. And then that was the time where it's like okay, I need to learn like clearly well-defined theory and I also need to make that much more automatic. So when I started going to tournaments then I then I booked up on Chessable and I started I started accessing a lot of that kind of content, but before it was mostly just ad hoc uh slower stuff whatever i could find for for free on youtube mostly okay.
0: that makes perfect sense it is funny how openings work i was playing in like one of these uh untitled tuesdays which is really fun because you get paired against like i think my blistering is like 1350 and so i get paired with like to a 1700 i lose and then i get paired with an 800 the next game and i win but what's fascinating is the 800s are really booked up like oh man, the first Aren't moves, they, though. they look like professional chess players, and you're like, All right, when, when are we gonna see what makes your rating this low come to fruition? And you're just hoping it's sooner rather than later. There's gotta be something. I just gotta survive long enough to see it. Yeah, it's uh it is kind of fascinating how how readily available it is to get good at openings. And I understand the allure, and it sounds like you sort of fell for it for a little while, right? Which is like, if I just know all the moves then I'm
1: fine. And it's especially easy when, like, I remember at that time I was watching a lot of, like, speed run content focused mm-hmm. around, like, the chess bras had a whole, had whole series on just, like, one single opening, common responses, common blunders you'll see from the opponent, and that made, that made the, that made the study feel like it was really useful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel Naroditsky's speed speedruns, pound for pound, are probably some of the absolute best content, because, He's such a naturally gifted teacher and the questions that he asks. I feel like he really intrinsically understands the mind of the amateur and like will point out super common pitfalls. It's incredible stuff, really.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. When I was learning the Carol Khan, he played the Carol Khan for a few hundred points. Oh, it was remarkable. It was so good that I just almost switched one of the lines I had chosen just to match his, just so I could use his advice more and in the end i was like no i really like the line i'm playing i'll just i'll just you know try to absorb what i can and use it in my games
1: yeah um and so yeah so like i kind of i kind of ride the youtube wheel for a little bit and but i finally like at the at the end of at the end of the 2021 22 school year i'm i felt like i was ready to to attend Ooh. tournaments and i was okay. ready to
0: kind of like seek that out now i got to ask you this question because i feel like this this is the big question for everyone is how do i know i'm ready how did you know you were ready what made you feel like okay i'm ready i'm ready so this was kind of an easier easier
1: solve for me because um i live Pretty rural in Manitoba. We're kind of like two hours away from everywhere. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna identify the exact small town, but it's so Manitoba. Kind of in the,
0: I'm just nope. in, imagining a place infested by moose.
1: Uh,
0: that it's mosquitoes, but they get really, really big.
1: Okay. So, but there are there are moose here too, and um, uh, there's kind of like two major population centers. You have Winnipeg, which is like a cosmopolitan city of eight hundred thousand. And then you have Brandon, which is a smaller town of about, you know, 50,000 and there's a dedicated chess community in both cities, but you know, Brandon's about two hours away, Winnipeg's about four hours away. So it's uh, it's, it's tricky to get out there, but my first tournament was in Brandon and it was like just an unrated tournament. And I'm like, this is perfect. I can get my feet wet. It doesn't cost like, it doesn't cost me any like rating points. If I lose, it's going to be fine. Yeah. And so I booked up, I figured out some openings. And I, my first game, I sit down across from like a 1900 FIA, I play the Queen's Gambit and I hang a rook on move like 12. And all of a sudden I'm like, like, I'm like, I'm stressed about it. Like I'm, 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 I'm not like upset. I'm not like, um, angry, but I'm embarrassed. I am like deeply, deeply embarrassed and instantly like the thoughts of like, Hey, you weren't ready. You shouldn't have come here. Like, this is, this is no good. You're fr- all start to kind of flood. And like I'm and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna play the game out. Like I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna resign when it's clearly over, but it's not totally clearly over yet. And I like I'm writing my score sheet, and my score sheet is a mess because my hands are shaking and I'm super <laughs> embarrassed. And at the end of it, you know, I extend my hand. It's like, it's okay, like you're okay. But and I was like, ah, oh, I'm terribly embarrassed. <laughs> so that was a totally new feeling from playing chess. I've never really like felt embarrassed by blunders I've been like annoyed with myself or like yeah a little tilted but never never the embarrassment Mm -hmm. and I went on to lose every single game in that tournament I actually came away with one point from it because one of my opponents had like dropped and left the tournament without telling the TD (laughs) but I didn't beat him and so I didn't win a single game and so I, I remember getting back in the car and I'm like okay you weren't ready it wasn't like you didn't have a good tournament I was a little bit upset about it, but I was able to rationalize it pretty easily by saying, "Well, okay. Number one, you've only been playing for a short period of time. It's been two years. A lot of the people in this pool you're going to be pl- like you're going to be playing have been playing for you don't know how long. Maybe it's a decade. Maybe it's more." The post mortems at the tournament were insanely good. Like I, I could have watched a month's worth of YouTube and not gotten the insight from sitting down across from an 1800 who said, well, I was thinking this, this, and this. And then when you did this, I saw this. It's like, you know, some, some content is better than others, but a post-mortem is worth its weight in gold, especially from those higher rated players. And I wound up playing a lot of higher rated players because in Manitoba back then, back then it was like a year ago, but the only, um, the only tournaments we had were single sections. There's no U 1400, there's no you 1000, everyone's in the pool with everybody. That was tough. Yeah.
0: Is-
1: and like, yeah, and cause as a new player, I'm gonna get one, maybe two real games out of that. I'm gonna have three curb stomps against really strong players and then the Swiss system will work its magic and I'll I'll be okay, I'll get some real games. Yeah. So if you make if you manage the expectations that way, it's it becomes a lot easier. But it's it's a tough pill to swallow, especially when you know you think you're kind of good at it and you think you've been making some progress. And then it's I'm I'm reminded of this idea from the director of like Dark Souls and Elden Ring. These moments where you think the world is this big and then the world expands and it's actually this big. Hmm. That's 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 what going to tournaments does does for a chess player. It just makes the world so much bigger
0: was there any part of you that was like i am not going back to one of these that was a humiliating experience it was terrible i felt stressed that was not the fun time i was hoping it would be yeah
1: i and the drive home was long drive home was two hours so i had a lot of time to sit with it and i was like okay i don't think i want to go to a tournament next month i think i want to take the rest of the summer tighten up some holes in the game figure out what i can do and then i'll come back to it Hmm. um I went to a, and then I started going to CFC rated tournaments in like September, November, like that fall in Winnipeg, they start holding CFC rated tournaments again. They had a couple of unrateds and then, then they come back to actually having rated tournaments. And in my first one there, I scored two out of five and I felt absolutely great about it because in like with the sort of managed expectations of the single big section, one out of five okay that's that's not great but it's fine two out of five like you may as well have just won the tournament that's about as good as you can possibly hope for and then zero out of five is like okay you have some work to do but all things in perspective and it's so neat because like you can look up your opponents and it's like oh this person's been active for this many years like you know don't 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 go in there thinking that you're gonna just win everything because you're not you're not going to you need to manage your expectations and if you can successfully do that I think you're absolutely ready for tournament play, regardless of how long you've been playing.
0: Okay. There were some, Wait, there you were some focus the summer off. I'm curious, what did you do that summer that made that gave you that confidence to be like, okay, I'm ready to go back?
1: Yeah, I, I, I really just kept doing what I had been doing. I kept on hanging out in chess switch channels. I kept playing games online, and, okay. and I, and I, I, in my game reviews, I would be like, okay, this doesn't feel like a great move, and why is it? Why is it a bad move in these positions? and the annotation of those tournament games complete with the thoughts of other folks who had showed me what was wrong with them when i when i sat down across from them that was colossal like that was how i realized that i had to stop playing a particular pawn push in the king's indian attack because it just wasn't going to work under any circumstances um so yeah and that and that aspect of being part of a broader community like i get to go to a chess tournament where The other people who are passionate about the thing i'm passionate about even if it's an unpleasant experience sometimes Mm. it's so cool and nothing really compares to like the excitement before round one of a tournament to me anymore like i just walk around with like i'm a ball of nervous energy there's a big smile on my face i want let's get the game underway there's nothing like it
0: yeah that's interesting also i think um it sounds like by monthly tournament, are you sort of seeing the same person that more of like a chess club atmosphere? It's, it's not a club per se, because like, I don't feel that
1: connected to things because I'm so far away. So I travel in for the weekend and then I go back home, but you know, the same, the same rough crowd of folks shows up to these events. So like, I'll see somebody there and like I'll interact with them multiple times and then we're known quantities to one another. Um, but there's, there are huge ups and downs. And I remember I like, I would score, you know, about one and a half, two at these tournaments. Occasionally I would like mess up really badly in the last round. And I remember like my fiance came with me one time and they took the car and while I sat at the church and played this tournament and I got back into the car when they picked me up after just hanging a rook to like a very obvious skewer in an end game. And I didn't say a word for like 20 minutes. I was so just like, busted up inside it was bad and so yeah i i i I very strongly considered quitting in february or uh, february or march after another rough like one out of five tournaments where i just kind of question like you're putting in so much time on this it's so strenuous it's very it's very difficult mentally are you sure you want to be doing this
0: did you take a break at all to deal with that
1: I definitely took breaks Like mm-hmm. after I was confronted with those sort of moments of, do you really want to be doing this anymore? Mm-hmm. I would take a little bit of a break. Like I would take a week, maybe two weeks, play no chess at all. And then I would just like the content, like I would, I would watch a Twitch stream and I'm like, yeah, you know what, this, th- this is still actually pretty cool. I think, I think I should get back into it. And that's just, I would kind of just sit back and wait for the passion to spring up again. And that's, mm-hmm. that's how I overcame it. Gotcha.
0: I'm kind of wondering if that is something I should do. To take just, just like a week off and kind of, I don't know, fill the gas tank a bit more with uh, some energy. I don't know. And, I'm
1: and let, and let the love, let the love of the game just kind of come organically back and that'll kind of spur you back. That's because if I try to force it, I, I sometimes really feel like I'm not making very much progress. And I have to, I, I, I really have to be led by the passion of it
0: yeah i hear you it's challenging it is challenging it was a bad tournament for me this weekend and it's it was very much like i came home and was like mm, yeah hi family mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're not particularly supportive they're like so what little kids did you lose to and i'm like right. <laughs> "Dude, that's too soon
1: <laughs> oh i have i have a i have a great little kid story from the from the canadian open that we'll 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 get to in just a little bit here excellent
0: i'm looking forward to it okay so <laughs> You're playing a bunch of tournaments. You're playing these weekend tournaments.
1: And they're all rapid tournaments, I want to mention. Oh, they're these all, are rapid
0: tournaments. Okay. These are
1: all these are all like one one shot, five round rapid tournaments, because it's okay. all that's really on offer. And I'm yeah. playing whatever chess I can get my hands on. Okay. So they would all be like 20 plus 10 seconds of delay, and mm-hmm. they'd be five rounds. Start at nine, finish at four. We're done for the day.
0: Gotcha. But
1: then but then they have their first classical tournament at the start of May. And I've never played classical before. I was, re- I was like kind of not nervous, but like I, I knew I was going to be uncomfortable with the time control. Cause mm-hmm. if all I play is rapid, this is going to feel like an eternity. Oh yeah. So I did, I did a little bit of work. I played a couple of slower games. I got some, some feedback from more experienced folks on like how to play classical mm-hmm. and I, I go to this classical tournament, I go to the Manitoba Open, and in the first round, I play like a an almost 1900 who uncorks some really nasty stuff in the Roy Lopez, and I am dead on the board by like move
0: 15. It was very grim. <laughs> oh my goodness. When I think of the Roy Lopez, I don't think of like a quick hitting opening. I don't either. And I thought I was
1: playing something that was perfectly fine. Like I I I pushed B5 or something. Uh uh-huh. yeah, I, I pushed like a A3, B, sorry, A6, B5. Yeah. And then I swung the knight over. And then he sacks the bishop, brings the other knight in. The queen runs the king all over the board. I had clearly messed up a move order in there. And I was dead before I hit the ground. I didn't even know I was in trouble. <laughs> um and, and my my toxic trait as a chess player is that like if I've if I played a game where there's clearly not much to analyze and I've just like mm. embarrassingly dropped the whole game out of my hands I don't see much point in doing a post-mortem like I will yeah. just kind of say that was a great game I have a lot of stuff to look at you know like, thank <laughs> you for that but I am gonna go lick my wounds and not be around people for a couple of hours
0: <laughs> yeah. those are hard to have post-mortems especially yeah. when your opponent's like if you just didn't hang this rookie, might have been fine. But yeah, also- especially, especially when it's like a short game. Like I, I could, I could see
1: absolutely still doing a post mortem if it, if you had a long, long drawn out contest and then it blunders away at the end. That's, that's perfectly fine. But if the game is a miniature where I am toast, uh, uh, it's too painful for me. So, um, and that was Friday night, and then. Saturday night Saturday they had two rounds and Sunday they had two rounds Saturday was one of the best days I ever played of chess I was paired up against a 1750 fully expecting to lose and I had done like once I had started going to tournaments I really kicked up my resources like I that was when I, I took pump up your rating back off the shelf I took uh reassess your chess back off the shelf I had started doing chessable courses. Like I did the checkmate patterns manual. I did the art of attacking chess a little bit, not too much. I would just kind of like take little things, put it back, take little things. And I started investing a boatload of time into the woodpecker method. And Mm -hmm. I was, I was, I only did the easy puzzles because the intermediates were like a little far above me because they were a little bit more abstract. And it was like, you had to kind of tease out the tactic. Whereas those first like 250 or whatever it is, they're all sitting right there and it's just about raw uh, pattern recognition. And so I was able to take this 1750, maybe I just caught him on a bad day or something, but I was able to, uh, I was able to stabilize. I was able to win. Like I was able to promote a pawn and essentially cost him a rook. And the end game was king, rook, and pawn against three connected pawns. I was still sweating. I had the rook, uh, Mm -hmm. but I was able to trade off one of his, one of his past pawns and then use opposition to box him out with the rook. Mm -hmm. And he finally just said, you you know you got me and I was I was thrilled I was overjoyed what was your rating when you beat him I was unrated in the class that was my first classical tournament so I was so I was unrated
0: (laughs) so it's mystery guy (laughs) yeah it
1: felt like a real coup um then I lost to two kids like two (laughs) you know very unassuming you know 12 maybe 14 year olds uh played really tight they were both rated like 1400 something and they played very tight chess saw tactics immediately uh, it was very very tough to play against, and I I, I made a couple of bad blunders, and, and then in the last round I got paired against the 1200 who was kind of at my level, and we had a we had a really nice extended contest, and I was able to I was able to bring out the win, and and in the post mortems uh, it was unique to be the guy who was like had some knowledge to impart that was. Uh, That was like a new thing for me, because I definitely found that in most of my post post postmortems, I was learning a lot. But then when that gets turned around and all of a sudden you're able to help other people, it's like this is what part of being in the chess community
0: is all about. This
1: is what makes tournaments so great.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Real quick, some questions about the woodpecker method. Did -hmm. you just like do the woodpecker puzzles a lot or did you actually do the, the method rigorously and like the timing and all that?
1: yeah so like i i I didn't follow the instructions to the letter, but I kind of followed the spirit of the instructions, which was mm-hmm. like pick a set of puzzles, do the do the puzzles, and then like repeat it again, but faster, like compress the time that you're supposed to do yeah. it in. Um, and I wouldn't really score it, but I would, if I, if I got a move wrong, then I would advance past that puzzle and I would leave it as a blank check mark so that I could see which tactics I was consistently missing deflection, deflection tactics were almost impossible for me to spot before I started doing the woodpecker. And now it's just like, Hmm. I don't know what it is. It's like, there's a neon sign above them now. That's awesome. And I was really, I was also really like, um, taken by their explanation of, well, you know, most of your games at any level are going to be decided by missed tactics you can plug yeah. this hole it's worth
0: it you're not wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah i've been doing the woodpecker method as well but i've been doing it in a really a very whatever way where i just get up every day when i have 10 minutes i just on chessable i do a bunch of whatever it tells me is the next puzzle i should review from the woodpecker method so i've been doing it that way i think i've probably cycled through those easy problems quite a bit i i really like them as like like you're saying, like a warm up kind of thing. I don't consider it like serious chess work because they're the easy puzzles, but they're good for you know. I still miss some of them. Uh, yeah, it's
1: it's, it's like- interesting actually because I think I think I do consider it as pretty serious chess work because like I I view it as just like making my tactics recognition more automatic, nice. and that's probably like among some of the most serious work I think I could do right now. It doesn't solve a lot of my problems but it definitely means that I'm more opportunistic when tactics arise. And I actually find that I'm a little bit more like defensively minded as well, because I can spot the characteristics of these tactics. I know when I'm like on the brink of getting myself into trouble with like a fork or a pin or a skewer to all that kind of stuff. It makes me feel
0: pretty strong. That's awesome. So I guess my next question is, are you still a positional player? Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so now I, I really don't think I
1: can be because Um, yeah, I I find the biggest problem with like the, the, the positional ideas is I always tend to tunnel vision on the wrong thing somehow. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's so many different pieces of information that go into evaluating a position and obviously certain things are going to be more important in some positions than others, but like maybe I'll just tunnel vision on the fact that, well, it's a Bishop and Knight imbalance. So I should close the position if I have the Knights not realizing that if you close the position maybe it's easier for them to infiltrate with the heavy pieces if they can force a breakthrough somewhere else. Yeah. And yeah, that 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 inability to keep things spinning is super tough.
0: Yeah. I feel like I I wouldn't call myself a positional player but I would say the openings I play leads to more like subtle positional games and what I found so hard about them is exactly what you're saying like you really have to accurately identify all the features you need to focus on and play really well and it feels like you make like one or two bad moves and suddenly it just all crumbles because it's like it was all about that backwards pawn and they're like yeah "Ah." but you made a bad move and now i can uh you know liquidate it and you're like what now i have nothing Where's and that-, that evaluation is
1: so hard to pin down. Like, like I can't, I can't, I can't even. If I had a nickel for every time I thought I was fine but was actually dead lost, I would be a very rich man by now. <laughs> and, it, and again, it's just not knowing what the what the critical feature of the position is.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So, have you come back to reassess your chest yet? Because maybe that would help.
1: I have, but I find that that's almost part of the. I find that that's almost part of the problem. It's almost like information overload because all of the examples from the chapters so very clearly demonstrate when that thing is the critical feature. Right. But I don't yet have the ability to be able to categorize and sort of like build a hierarchy of what's most important when I'm evaluating a position, which mm. is why I really want to get evaluate like a grandmaster. Cause I think that's mm. like a very huge part of what
0: might bring me to the next level as okay. far as being able to is this the uh, the nate solon that, book? yeah that's yeah,
1: it looks very intriguing
0: yeah what i love about that book is also the rating range is pretty broad like it feels like there's a lot of puzzles that at 1600 i was like oh this is incredibly easy and i think you know someone rated 1200 could really get a ton out of this and then there were other puzzles where I was like, "What? Like this is very challenging for me at 1600." <laughs> so I, th- I think it, it really does a good job of covering a pretty good range. Yeah, yeah, really. So,
1: did. so yeah, so I left the I left the Manitoba Open uh, as a 1460 provisional after five games, Ooh. and then then I go to the Saskatchewan Classic. And that has two sections. There's a U1600 section for the first time I sign up for it. I'm like, this is going to be great. Yeah. It's a huge trap. There's 40 players. Only five of us have ratings. The rest of them are unrated. And I'm like, <laughs> oh boy, I'm going to get my pocket picked. Yeah. And I sure did. I played, uh, I think I played four unrated people <laughs> and I only made two and a half out of five. That's I was I was expecting to do a lot better though. Cause like, I'm coming from all these single section tournaments where it's like, okay, you have no shot in a couple of these games. So I was thinking, well, you know, if I can make two, two out of five in the open, maybe in a U 1600, I'll make, you know, three or three and a half, maybe even yeah. four, if I'm amazing. But I sort of quickly realized that those sections have, there's, there's quite a bit of a bigger gap to, to consistently place at the top of a section in a chess tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, And there's just a level of absolute clinicality that is really tough to consistently pull out, which is fine. Because now I feel like I'm getting more reasonable games and I'm also being directly exposed to what's affecting my floor. So yeah, all in all, super positive.
0: I think it's a Um, good point that trying to go four out of five Is also goes way beyond chess. That's really about being a top level competitor. Um, And, and like sort of reflecting on my own experiences, I think it's why I'm much more successful when I play up. Because when I play up, I can have these horrible moments and just be like, well, at least they were rated like 1850. So it's fine. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to fail here. It's all good. And then when I play my good game and I don't hallucinate that my rook is hanging, then I'm able to beat the 1800. I mean, really, the I went. I played in the under eighteen hundred section in this, and it felt like the strength of the players I was playing was almost identical to when I play under two thousand. That was kind of the shocking thing for me. I thought, like, well, like I might not score well. I don't know, but the opponents will be weaker, and they just weren't. I was like, they weren't. Yeah, wow, this is bizarre
1: when i went to the canadian open this summer it was the same thing like i was kind of like doing a little bit of research against my opponents and i noticed i noticed that they're all like two thousand 000 lead or 2200 leeches <laughs> and i'm like oh my god like i'm 1800 Leechess. and it feels like there's a yawning gulf between those two sections and these guys are like you know 1, 14 1500 over the board and i'm like oh man i have a mountain to climb still
0: yeah that can be challenging okay so you're what do you feel like you're gaining from these big tournaments because it sounds like it's a pretty big commitment you got to take the whole weekend you gotta you know sounds like probably travel quite a bit um what what do you feel like you gain from this
1: so the biggest thing is just connection to the community like there's 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 no substitute for being able to go and honestly just have fun playing chess even when you're not playing your best chess the atmosphere of the tournament is so much fun at like the bigger, longer tournaments at, at the at the Canadian, like the the weekend tournaments are really jam-packed. The schedule is always so tight. You just bounce from game to game to game to game to game, to game and then it's over. Mm. But I went to the Canadian Open in, uh, in July, and it was 10 days long. The Whoa. games were all... It's, yeah, it's 10 days long. I drove 12 hours to Calgary. I get an Airbnb for 10 days. The venue is immaculate. There's DGT 3000s everywhere. Apparently, it cost them like it costs them an insane amount of money to put this on, but it's a long tournament. There are 10 rounds and it's over like nine, 10, 9 days or so. And all the games are at 6 p.m. In the morning, they have like grandmaster lectures, they have simuls, they have like fun little side tournaments. Um, and I have enough time to like sit chew on my game from last night, analyze it for an hour or two, fully annotate it and then go back, go back on it with the engine. And then I have time to prep for my next game. Like I I got an Airbnb in Calgary and I barely left the Airbnb. It was just, it was a chess laboratory for nine days and I had a blast.
0: That sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah I
1: need so to- yeah, that, that long tournament, those long tournaments are just, they're so incredible for like the culture and the, the, Exposure to things that you otherwise, that, just by the way, seeing. that was at the end of July, and I think they Ooh, normally do it about the end of July.
0: And it coincides July. with a lot of big U.S. tournaments, I know that I could do end of July though. That's that's during you know <laughs> summer break, yeah. Although my family would be like, You're doing what now? <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it's so hard because like you you travel for chess, and like there are some people who are like, no, I'm gonna get out, I'm gonna see the city, I'm here to travel. Versus yeah. like the I'm gonna be a chess goblin for nine days, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna leave the laboratory.
0: Mm-hmm. So, that would be me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like my children would miss me if I left for nine days to play chess. Even a weekend is challenging. It's like, especially mm-hmm. when they're like, so you played three little kids, you could have hung out with us and said you hanging with other little kids. And I'm like, no, I wasn't <laughs> hanging out with them. I was trying to destroy them. <laughs> it was mortal Kombat. come on exactly. I can't destroy you even though you play chess my eight year old when we play I can't uh, have that mentality mm-hmm. uh, all right well I haven't heard anything about coaching have you thought about getting a coach at all do you have a coach is that on your radar at all I I really feel like it would be a
1: useful expense but right now I feel like I still have a and like I've I've been plateaued On my online rating for the better part of about a year Mm. i'm kind of rationalizing it as like well number one i'm actually trying to become a little bit more well-rounded as a chess player i'm not i'm not doing the i'm not doing the common advice of find a couple of openings and really stick with them get good at them grow with them i'm trying to get familiar in a broad array of positions and types of types of systems and i'm just trying to trying to improve that all around broad base of knowledge. The other part of it is like, I don't feel lost yet. I don't feel like I don't know what the next step is. I know that I have a lot of different problems. I know that I have a lot of different resources that I can use to keep chipping away at it. But if I ever look around and I'm really struck by the thought that I don't know why I'm not improving, I don't know what I'm doing wrong here. I think that's when I will put my foot down and actually hire a coach. But I think I still have a little bit more g's to ring out here.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's a really reasonable approach. I mean, coaches aren't free. If they were, then you probably would already have one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Um, one last thing I haven't heard much about is end games. Did you have you ever studied end games or just kind of picked them up as you went along? So I
1: I I dug pretty deep into a hundred endgames you must know, mm-hmm. um, and the the endgame analysis from the third edition of Silman's Reassess Your Chess was pretty invaluable for giving me that floor. The thing I struggle so much with with endgames is that like it's such an on command test and you know you might go you might go months between seeing like a lucina position and it's like yeah. oh my god i gotta build the bridge but i don't know how i know the rook <laughs> has to get up here but i don't know the, yeah. i can't remember how and the lack of intuitive moves especially with the king in a perfectly fine looking move just blunders the whole position yeah so that 100 endgames you must know of course though that that really distills a lot of the more uh arcane concepts down into manageable parts and I, I've, I've found that really, really helpful. And I kind of go between thinking, oh, my end games are great until I like fumble some points in an end game. And it's like, I got to go back and look at my end games. It's yeah. really tough to know how much time to spend on them.
0: It really is, especially for what you're saying about like, like viewing the basics is really critical, right? You have to learn opposition. You have to learn all these basic ideas. But then when it's like, when you start memorizing things like, well, if the king is on the F, file and it's the long rook checks it's like okay I, okay I know this now right I just I just did it but I won't know it in two weeks from now if I don't see it between then and then I won't so Neat. yeah I've I really struggled with that I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm like I think my end games are good enough now if you're asking me if they're good no they're not <laughs> perhaps my tactics and my calculation are bigger issues um, rather than that
1: Yeah, I know for sure my middle game is my Achilles heel
0: right now, so. Oh, so you're no longer a positional player then?
1: Well, I I don't feel like I can be a positional player when, like, the engine gets super mad at me for playing an ill-advised pawn push that, again, I think is perfectly fine and is just a great pawn lever. And it's like, no, this undermines your whole position. You're you're deadlocked now.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like you've made a lot of progress. Do you have any goals that you're working towards, or are you just trying to sort of improve your chest?
1: my okay so i met a 74 year old man at the canadian open and he was retired and he was just like his his vacations now or he just like goes to chess tournaments and plays them and like that is a like long term life goal that i would love to have like just mm-hmm. become a retired dude in 30 years from now and just play chess tournaments whenever i want um but as far as like an ongoing long standing goal i think i i think i would really like to hit I I'd, I'd like to get out of the U 1600 sections. I'd like to be able to hang with the, with the strong players in the, in the big boy pool, not the kitty pool, but I think that's going to be a multi-year goal. I don't, I, I, in honesty, I don't really know if I'll ever get there. Mm. I might, I might not, but, um, but that's, goal. that's kind of like a, that's kind of like a, a reasonable thing I can shoot for. And then if I get there, maybe I'll reassess, you know?
0: Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. I used yeah. to be like my goal is 2000. Now my goal is just to stop losing all of my rating points. And <laughs> <laughs> the bleeding would be great. The
1: for me the rating points aren't and su- like I mean my rating is pretty low classically. Like it's I you know I'm a, I'm 1339 and I I know that the rating is the the tough part is like you don't know when you sit across from a 1200 whether they're just stopping by on the way to 1800 or whether they're you know a real 1200 so I know that my rating isn't going to broad like massively fluctuate I'm not going to hit 1800 without the merit of it being there I'm not going to drop all the way down to 1100 and stay there forever my rating is going to follow me it might lag behind but it's going to follow the development and I love I love hearing James Canty talk about don't don't worry about the results worry about the work worry about what you're doing to make the process work.
0: I've definitely been leaning into that as uh as the rating plummets. I just have to kind of be like, all right, rating. I'm not really sure what you're measuring. I feel like you're measuring more of my ability to be a sportsman than to actually be good at chess, uh, and somehow I'm struggling to merge them. and And I guess I need to fix that. But I'm gonna keep doing the work. And hopefully, hopefully they'll turn around. So I, I love your approach, John. Um, yeah. Well, John, I think that's going to wrap this one up. If people want to contact you, where can they get a hold of you?
1: So I am at Absonics on the website formerly known as Twitter, now as X. And that's kind of where I hang out.
0: Hmm. I didn't hear about this transition. Huh? That's too bad. I love how even when they email me, they're like formerly known as Twitter. I'm like, just either own the change or don't, guys. What are you doing over there? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. sounds like you've had a great journey of such a great attitude towards your journey. And I wish you all the best. Hopefully, you will reach your lofty goals of 1650-ish soon. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. I would love to be 1650 again. I remember that. Right? it doesn't
1: sound so good
0: (laughs) by the way i played in the under 1800 and i was like if i had my old rating i would have been like the second highest person in the entire section and now i'm one of the bottom rated people this should be great no no it still wasn't john it's still it still wasn't easy chess is hard chess Mm -hmm. is hard all right i guess that's the that's the final point today chess is hard chess is hard Chess is hard, and uh, I'll see you all next time. Hopefully, chess won't be hard for you this week. Maybe it'll be easy. You'll be like, Kevin, what are you talking about? Chess is the easiest thing ever. All right. Well, I'll see you all next week, everybody. Goodbye.